Second Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 14, Paul says, This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And he's referring to a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, when he says that, I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him in our dealing with you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In this last chapter of Paul's epistle, verse 10 provides an apt summary of why he wrote the letter and what he's been emphasizing, particularly in the previous few chapters. Paul wants to build up the Corinthians and not tear them down. All through First and Second Corinthians, Paul lays out how the Corinthians can be built up in the Lord in every area of their lives. And as we saw last week, Paul's expectation... His hope for when he visits them is that he will find them fully restored to the Lord, encouraging and strengthening one another in love, of one mind with each other, living in peace and harmony, and experiencing the presence of God in their midst. That's the set of expectations that we read about in these chapters. Now, there are plenty more things that we can expect of one another in the Lord, but these are the specific points that he's emphasizing here. But Paul gives the Corinthians one final charge in verse 5 <clears throat> that is just as valid for each of us today. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. 
This is not testing or evaluation about what you are taught, meaning as you hear the word of God, you examine it according to the scriptures, and you see whether what you're hearing, you test to see whether what you're hearing is of God. That's not the kind of testing he's talking about. This is also not the kind of testing or discerning of spirits, what we read about when we talked about the spiritual gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the not the, the Spirit of God. We, you know, the Bible tells us be, t be discerning, test the spirits, pay attention, evaluate, understand, is this of God or not? And that's not the kind of test that Paul is referring to here. He is referring to or he's charging us to test ourselves. This is not testing others and it's not being tested by others. This is self-evaluation. Now here's an important point to note about this test. Paul consistently refers to the Corinthians as beloved children of God. He says, your father loves you. And I love you. I sincerely care for you. I want to see you built up. So he's constantly referring to them as his brothers and his sisters. He never questions their salvation. The fact that they have been justified by faith in Christ. The fact that justification has come through repentance of sins. Even though he calls them to repent repeatedly and he's telling them, hey, there are these new sins that I'm seeing or hearing about and I need you to repent. You need to come to the Lord and repent. He's not calling into question their salvation, the fact that they have been saved from sin. But he's continually challenging them in terms of their holiness, their sanctification that has to take place through the daily and regular transformation. The renewing of the mind, the transformation of the life, the giving in, yielding to the, to the Lord. So he says, I'm not asking you to test or to, you know, I'm not, I'm not calling into question your salvation, but I am challenging you about your sanctification, your holiness, your being set apart for the Lord, your consecration. There are things in that area, in that realm of your life that needs to be set right. And there are tests that you need to apply to that area of your life to see how you stand. And he says here, this is not so that you can prove that you came out of the test well. It's not, it's not so that others can see how you did the test. So this is not where, like they would do in India, they would put all the, the results of your public exams, you know, your grade exam. They put it up on the board for everybody to see. And if you were on the low end of that list, it was to shame you to try to do better. God's not doing that. And he's not telling you to do that. He's not saying, look, you go and get an A, and then you can stand in front of people and say, I got an A. I went and tested myself, and I got an A. What did you get? And the other person says, ah, B plus, oh, B plus. You know, this is not the point. God is not saying, test yourself so that other people will know. He says, even if you think we have failed, who? Paul. Because the Corinthians were accusing him and saying, ah, you know, he's not very impressive. He hasn't done so much. He's not a great apostle. So he says, even if you think we have failed, even if you think we haven't done all the right things, I want you to test yourself so that you will know where you stand in the faith, so that you will know where you stand with the Lord, so that you will know what the Lord thinks of you, not what others think of you. So this testing, not about salvation, 
not about whether we have that assurance of salvation. By the way, if you have any doubts of your salvation, if you say, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know how I know I'm saved. I don't know how I can be confident of that. Let's have that conversation. Let's bring that up. I encourage you there is a way in which we can respond to the Lord in that because as we will see when we get into 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 10 to 11 says, Make your calling and your election sure. So if there's, a, if there's a statement that that is what we are to do, then there is a means by which we can do that and how the Lord will enable us to do that. So we can be sure, we can be assured of our salvation. That's not what Paul is calling into question here. This is an evaluation, a test of conduct, not necessarily about belief. And as you evaluate your conduct, there may be some points of belief, there may be some points of doctrine that have to be addressed, maybe some points of theology that have to be learned or gained. That's fine. But this is primarily a test to say, how are we responding to the Word of God? How are we conducting ourselves? It is an evaluation of obedience that springs from faith. That's what the book of Romans, when we went through Romans, we saw that in multiple references. The idea that when there is faith that rises in us, what is the response to that faith or what is caused by that faith, what springs up from that faith is obedience. It's not indulgence. It's obedience to the Lord. And so he says this is the test. And so the Bible makes clear that faith without works is dead. So, or to state that differently, faith in Christ should be evidenced by dying to self and being raised up to new life in Christ to do all that Christ commands us to do. That's how our faith should be manifest. So that means that there is a call, there is a charge, there is a command for regular self-evaluation as a means of testing to see if we are being obedient to the Lord, if we are responding in faith, if we are living and moving and having our being in Him and if Christ is in us. Not deceiving ourselves, but evaluating ourselves honestly to say, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. I, I can see it, I can help, I can experience it. I know this is what's going on. And when we test ourselves to see what's going on, and I'm going to go through just a partial list based primarily on what we've studied in First and Second Corinthians, there are a whole lot more other indicators as such in the Word of God. But even as we've gone through these scriptures, we can test and see, test ourselves regularly to see if we're bearing the fruits of repentance. If we're obeying the Lord to fulfill His purpose and plan. If we're manifesting spiritual gifts for the common good, for building others up so that as a whole, whether we are Wherever we may be planted, we're seeking to build up the body of Christ. Joined to the head and building up the body of Christ. Receiving from the head and giving to the rest of the body. That would be the function of every one of us in this regard. Now in a short while this morning, we will be participating together in the Lord's Supper, the communion. And after explaining what communion should be, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 29, Paul wrote this, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. We've gone through these scriptures as we studied in 1 Corinthians, but the point is that there is a need for self-evaluation. It's not to shame ourselves, it's not to condemn ourselves, it's not to punish ourselves, but it is to have a realistic view and to say, ah, here's where I need the Lord's cleansing. Here's where I need the Lord's touch. Here's where I need to set something right with my brother or sister. P pay attention that the, the testing is for about discerning the body of Christ, about how we deal with others in the body of Christ. And so the examination that he was calling for, that Paul is calling for in regard to communion, was of the heart and of the hands. And in order to participate in the Lord's Supper, we are called to humbly evaluate whether we are in right relationship with the Lord and others, whether we are preferring our brothers and sisters over ourselves versus selfishly indulging in our own physical or soulish desires. That's what was happening with the Corinthians. They were going ahead and drinking and eating and getting drunk and, you know, gluttony and all of this and putting aside or pushing aside their other brothers and sisters. And Paul says none of that is right. None of that is appropriate. Now here in 2 Corinthians 13, Paul is making a similar appeal the only thing is that that self-evaluation, the testing is not limited. We are to evaluate all areas of our lives. Now, as I've said before, Christianity is not a rule-based philosophy. It's not a set of philosophical ideas, thoughts. You meditate on it, you think about it, and you say, oh, that's pretty interesting. It's not just uh, some philosophy. It's not just some way of living in that regard. It is a simple, not easy, it is a simple relationship-based reality. Not a rule-based philosophy, but a relationship-based reality. So, how should we be testing ourselves in terms of what we think and say and do? It's very clear throughout the Word of God that we must test ourselves in terms of our relationship with the Lord and our relationships with others. That's the context for how we have to evaluate ourselves. Now when we evaluate our relationship with the Lord, you, you have already experienced this in your life and this is the nature of how we have to continue to experience the Lord in our lives so that the test is in this context. And that's, and here's what I mean by that. When we first come to know of God, the very fact that there is a God, whether your parents told you about him or whether you encountered him in some other way or whether you saw uh, some program on TV or you read a book or you got a tract or, you know, something happened in a supernatural way and the Lord revealed himself to you in dream or vision, whatever the way in which you confronted this almighty God, this creator of the universe, you first were introduced to God as someone who is far beyond, transcendent beyond all humanity and is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the God of Gods, uh, you know, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, all of that. But you just 
see, the, see and encounter this God as this almighty God, right? That would be the way that you do that. Now, very quickly though, as you come to hear and understand of his love for you, and his sacrifice for you, and what he has provided for you, the means of salvation they just provided for you, you come to experience God as your Savior. Jesus Christ, and through his sacrifice, you come to experience the Lord as your Savior. So you move from knowing him as creator to moving, to, you move to know him as your Savior. But then, as you are experiencing or starting to grow in that relationship with the Lord, he is not the harsh disciplinarian. He's not the teacher, the instructor, the guide, the, you know, whatever else, even though he does all of those things. You primarily come to know the Lord as your Father, loving you, caring for you, providing for you, receiving you into his embrace, giving you spiritual gifts, empowering you, equipping you, you know, just your loving Father. And then, as you are responding to that love of the Lord, you know him as your Lord. You know him as the one to whom you owe all your allegiance. You're not holding something back in, you know, and saying, yeah, thanks a lot, you know, okay. But you give him everything and you say, I want you to be Lord of my life, to reign supreme over me. And so that's how you know the Lord. And then one day very soon, we will know him in all of his glory for eternity as he returns and joins us to him. So these are the sort of stages or the context for how we would even relate to God. But in doing that, in relating to God in that way, there are, there are three particular points that I want to make to you about how we evaluate our relationship with the Lord. And the one, first one has to do with the past, the second has to do with the present, third has to do with the future. But as far as dealing with the past is concerned, it is about the fact, or is asking the question, have we repented of past sin? Have we dealt with past hurts? Have we received healing for trauma that has affected us and afflicted us for maybe a long period of time? Have we set things right in terms of what has happened in the past? Have we learned the lessons from what has happened in the past? So you have to ask yourself those kinds of questions. That's how you would evaluate yourself, test yourself to see. Have I dealt effectively with the past in terms of what the Word is telling me, in terms of what the Lord is showing me, in terms of how He relates to me? So that's the first area. The second area in terms of the present has to do with the principles of God or applying the principles of God in the present. Am I faithful to obey what the Word of God says? So I could have dealt with my past. I could have been set free. And, but I'm not doing things to live for God in the present. It's, how, it's as Jesus said, the man who had the unclean spirit, out of whom the unclean spirit was cast out, but then the unclean spirit goes and returns and finds the place nice and clean and empty and ready and brings seven more, you know, or stating that there's a much greater negative effect that comes back and then occupies or, you know, takes over again. So the point that Jesus is making or the point that the word would make to us and the point that I'm emphasizing in terms of our evaluation is this. Having dealt with your past, what's happening in the present? Are the principles of God 
in operation in your life in the present. Because if they're not, no matter how much you've dealt with the past and how well you have resolved the things of the past, guess what will happen? Seven times worse stuff can happen just in those very same areas because you haven't now established the strength of the Lord to keep you and to fill you. It's not to leave. See, the world, the world says when you meditate on the things, the philosophies of the world, it's to empty your mind. The Bible says that when you meditate on the reality of Christ, it is to fill your mind. It is to fill your mind with the things of the truth of God, the love of God, the, the, the relationship with God. So the present, the application of the present is, am I applying the principles of God? And then in terms for the future, it is, am I anticipating the promises of God? Am I living in such a way that I believe that He's going to return? Many times... We've dealt with our past. We're even applying things for the present. But we're actually not preparing for his coming. And the Bible says that we are to be prepared as a bride. And that would be pure and ready. So that when the bridegroom comes, we are prepared. We're not doing something else. We're not somewhere else. We are ready for when he returns. That means we have to ask ourselves, what do I do and how am I preparing for the coming of the Lord? Am I spending all of my time, my talent, my treasure? Am I investing all of my resources? Am I giving my strength to what is temporary? Or am I investing for eternity? Am I laying up treasures in heaven? What would those treasures be? We've gone through that. Even the souls that would be saved, those jewels in the crown, those ways in which we would reach out to people all over the world and say, there is a soon and coming king and we want you to be in, the, in that group and found with him when he returns. All of that, are we living for that? Because it's very possible for us to have had the past dealt with and the present victorious, but no pointing, no consideration of the future. The consideration of the future and the promises of God is what motivates us to invest into the next generation. The consideration of the future is what motivates us to go and tell somebody else about Jesus. Because if all we cared about was the past and the present, you just have to live your good life, right? I've got things in order. I, I'm going to make sure that I live well. Why should I care about the other person? Because there's a promise of God. And the promise of God is not just that he will come and join to himself those that belong to him, but it's also that he will judge. And if the world today is going about its way oblivious to the judgment of God, the impending judgment of God, then there is a responsibility for us as children of God who believe those promises of God to say, be prepared, get ready, let me warn you. I want to snatch you out of the fire because there is a God that's returning. So there is this need for us to evaluate ourselves, test ourselves and see, are we living in these ways? Does the word of God make a difference in our life in these ways? So we evaluate our relationship with the Lord in these ways. Second thing is that we evaluate our relationship with others. Now this is not a test or an evaluation of that person. It's again testing ourselves. 
It's how are we dealing in terms of our relationship with others? How are we presenting? What are we doing? And again, we're focusing on the relationship, not on the person or the personality. That person, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're good people, so then I'll have a relationship with them. That person, oh, terrible person. I'm not going to have a relationship with them. That's not the evaluation. The evaluation is how do I deal with people? How do I you know, obey the Lord in interacting with somebody who may not be easy to interact with? And how do I do that even when they may find me wanting? The Corinthians found Paul terribly wanting. They said, he's not impressive. He's not worth listening to. I mean, they made all sorts of criticisms about him personally. And yet the relationship was one that was established in the Lord because here's what Paul does. He turns the tables on them. He says, instead of testing me to see whether I'm a true apostle, test yourselves. You know why? Because when they test themselves in the Lord to explicitly affirm their relationship with God, they would be implicitly affirming their relationship with Paul because Paul was the one who led them to the Lord. Paul says, I don't have any other children. You know, I, I don't boast of anything else. I boast that I, you are the ones that you know, have come to the Lord. My ministry has been to tell you about Jesus and you have believed. And if anybody else comes with a different gospel, don't even believe that, but you have been saved because of this word. So guess what? Test yourselves. Now if I test myself and I say, oh, I belong to the Lord, I am implicitly affirming that this person, Paul, who led me to the Lord, is also in relationship with me. He is also my brother. And I don't have to be worried or I don't have to be concerned that I'm not distracted by whether he is, what his appearance is like. I am rejoicing in the relationship that I have in the Lord. Now, our healthy relationships with others are based on three things. Just as, you know, our relationship with the Lord is based on dealing with the past and the present and the future and so on. Our relationships with people, because we've dealt with the past and everything else in the Lord, allows us to deal with them in the present. And because we're anticipating the future in the Lord, we deal with them in the present. But these three points that I'm pointing out, nothing these are very straightforward points, but these are about how we deal with people in the here and now. And the first one is trust, that we would be able to believe people, that we would be discerning about what is going on in their lives and how things are happening. And then we would trust people even when we know that there are some things that they're not doing right and that they may even harm us. Paul says, what if you even suffer loss or harm from somebody else? It's okay. It's okay. Just continue to minister to them. Just continue to love them. Not, not to be foolish about your dealings with them. Not to be unsafe. But he says, you know, people may do all sorts of things to you. They may hurt you. They may call you names. They may come against you. They may slander you. Love them anyway. Trust them. Believe in the best for them. Believe the best in them. Work with them. Which brings us to the next trust. And then teamwork. The Bible is constantly calling us to work with one another. To be members of one body. To lift up the burdens together. 
to labor together, to harvest together, to sow together, to, to pray together, to give thanks together, to prophesy together. The Bible is constantly calling us to teamwork. And this teamwork has to be for a common purpose and mission. And so in every local church, there is a mission that that church is about. There's a group of people that that church needs to reach out to. There's an impact that that church can have. The local church, 10 miles down the road, won't have that same impact. The local church, 10 states away from here, you know, separated, does not have the same impact. They are called to something. So we have a responsibility to say, Lord, how do we work together as this local church to fulfill your purpose and your mission? So, and then the third area, and then I'll come back to the questions that we need to raise here. The third area is one of tensions or resolving tensions. And tensions between people, the barriers to effective teamwork, it comes from miscommunication, it comes from some sort of conflict, but it comes primarily from disagreements. We just don't disagree, we just don't agree about something. We say, I think we should do this. Nope, I think we should do that. You know, I think we should have our program on the 24th. Nope, we should have it on the 16th. You know, we disagree. And when we disagree, we disagree so vehemently that we start to go in different ways. And the question is, how do we resolve those kinds of tensions and resolve those kinds of tensions instead of letting disagreements destroy us. Because it is the devil's ploy, it is the devil's scheme to see the body of Christ broken, split, fractured along all sorts of different lines. Now, again, what's the point here? How do you test yourself? You have to ask your questions. You have to ask yourself about this. And you say, am I trusting people? Am I discerning people? Am I paying attention to what the Lord is telling me about somebody? Am I living and moving in Christ in such a way that I deal with people in the right way? Am I doing that? Or am I just going with the flow? Am I just reacting to whatever is happening? Am I paying attention to the things of God with regard to other people? When it comes to teamwork and working together, do I know what the purpose is? If I'm part of this local assembly, if I'm part of this group of people, do I know what the purpose is for this group of people? Do I know who we're supposed to reach out to? Do I know what my mission is with these folks? Do I know how I should encourage my brother and my sister in this local church so that we can stand together? Do I know that? Do I pay attention to that? Do I learn what are the strengths and weaknesses in my brother and my sister? How can I best help them? How can they help me? What are the gifts that are necessary in this team? We do all of this kind of stuff at work all the time, by the way. We, we, we adjust and we do things and we look at stuff, and, but we don't do it in the church. And it's necessary for us to say, how best can we support one another? What can we do to help each other? How can we do this? How should we evaluate in this regard? And then when it comes to tensions and resolving tensions and not allowing disagreements to destroy us, Again, asking the right questions. Why is the tension there? Am I holding on stubbornly to something? Is it my pride that keeps me from saying, oh, I was wrong? Is it any other hindrance that is causing this block? Instead, let there be the flow of the Holy Spirit that resolves all of the problems. Which brings us to this point of application. 
that we respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by testing ourselves to ensure we are in the faith. You know, we typically demand high standards of others. We, we are always, when you go to the restaurant, the dishes need to be just right, and you have a standard for the chef. When you go to the service, you know, you go to the store, you expect them to do something. We have high standards for everybody else. We expect all the people at work to do those things. And we, ex we even expect our job performance to be evaluated. We, we are, we're not surprised if the boss comes and says, hey, not doing as well, or yep, you're doing a good job. And I say, hmm, okay. But we are reluctant. We tend not to be as diligent about evaluating ourselves, testing ourselves. We hesitate to test ourselves because we're afraid of what we'll find. And we say, oh, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to evaluate myself too closely because then I'll have to change. And the point that the Bible is making, us, making to us is the testing that the Lord calls us to is not to shame us. It's not to point out our flaws. And the testing that the Lord calls us to, the testing ourselves, the self-evaluation, it's not even to punish us. It's not that he says, here's your test, go do this, bring back the result. And then he looks at it and says, okay, you're admitting that you did this, this, and this, and that you're messing up, and all right, here's your punishment. No, that's not the point that the Lord is making. He says, I want you to test yourself to see if you're in the faith so that you have an opportunity to know where you need my help so that you will know how you can get stronger in your relationship with the Lord, so that you will see, oh, this is where I'm weak, and this is where I need to press into the Lord. This is where I'm distant from the Lord, and I need to get closer to Him. This is where I haven't been in cooperation with the body of Christ, and this is how I need to do that. This is how I need to pray with them. This is how I need to fast for them. This is how I need to cooperate with them. This is how I need to come and encourage them. This is how... And, and I've said this before, but just you're sitting some in, in a seat and paying attention, close attention to something somebody shares is encouraging that person. When you sing, when you participate, when you engage in the things of the church, you're saying, my brother, my sister, I am so glad for you and I want to encourage you and I want to be encouraged by you. Let me work with you. So we do this, we evaluate ourselves, we test ourselves to see what should be the areas that we pay attention to to build us up, to build one another up, to see the body of Christ not torn down, but excelling with strength for the Lord. All of that. And then Paul concludes. He concludes this letter with a beautiful Trinitarian blessing. He says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It touches on all these things that we've been talking about through both these books, First and Second Corinthians. It's he, this, what he's saying there, that benediction. It's a faith-filled prayer that a believer's acceptance of God's love and His grace expressed through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus will result in a growing relationship with the Holy Spirit, a fellowship with the Holy Spirit 
that enables a fellowship with our brothers and sisters. And that relationship in the Lord, being blessed by the Lord, experiencing the grace of God, experiencing the love of God, experiencing the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that leads us into the true and godly fellowship with one another. That kind of relationship will allow us, will allow every believer to stand the test. He says, test yourselves and see if you stand. You, the only way you can fail this test if you, is if you're not in Christ Jesus. Meaning you don't even know Him as Savior or Father or Lord. You, you're, you're not seeking Him. You're not coming to Him. You're, you've rejected Him. If that's the case, then sure, you'll fail the test. But if you are a child of God, and if this is your goal, this is your prayer, this is your desire, oh, you will pass this test. You will stand this test. Because the Lord is the one who is faithful to build you up and to make you strong and to cause us together as a church, as a body of Christ, to flourish. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that your word is so wonderful to us. And we thank you, Lord, that you have called us to test ourselves. A testing that we don't need to dread, but a testing that we need to look forward to. A testing that says, these are the areas in my life that I need to pay attention to. These are the points in my life where I need the help of God, the strength of God, the healing of God. Oh, the restoration of God. Oh, Lord God, help us to test ourselves regularly. Help us to test ourselves with regard to our relationship with you and help us to test ourselves regularly in, in terms of our relationship with others. Help us, Lord, to live our lives in such a way that we glorify you, that we stand the test, not for anybody else to see, but for your will to be done and for you to be glorified. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.